So I've changed the title of this message three times. The first title was, what did Jesus say or why did Jesus say, be like a child? Why did Jesus tell us that we were supposed to be like a child? Then I changed it to the kingdom of God and children. I actually changed it four times. Then I changed it to the age of accountability. And finally, I changed it to all babies go to heaven. As a play on all dogs go to heaven. I don't know if all dogs go to heaven, but I think I want to show you today through the word of God that all babies go to heaven. And I think that this is such a powerful message for us to understand how much God loves kids and how your kids, your young kids are in a window of being able to pour into them because young children will receive the gospel. I, I, I don't, maybe there's a, a child who's five or six who says, no, I don't want to receive Christ. But when you share Christ to a five or a six-year-old, they want to receive Jesus. There's something about that age that they are open and ready for it. And I want to show you today through the word of God that that is not by accident. That is by design. God designed it this way for us to have open hearts to our kids because they aren't always going to be open. That's a sad amen, but I need to get it, right? Because some of us know that. We know that there's a time when our kids aren't open to the things that we are saying. And so when they are open to them, no wonder God told Israel, talk about Yahweh, talk, the, talk about God when you walk with them down the road, when you sit with them at the table, when you, when you rise and when you go to bed, talk to your children about me, God told them, because children soak it in and there's something that sticks and this is so important for us to know and understand. And the Bible has a lot to say in the scriptures about children. For example, the Bible talks about children not knowing the right, their right hand from their left hand and being born into sin. One translation, the New Living Translation, actually uses that phrase, these children don't know their right hand from their left hand, and they translate that as innocent. That they're innocent, but the Bible also teaches that they're born into sin. Now think about that. If the Bible teaches that children at a certain age don't know their right hand from their left hand or are innocent, and yet they are part of the kingdom of God, who else is sinful and innocent at the same time? Not only our children, but us. We're going to talk about how we are like children. We're like children, but we know the right and the left but we have chosen to call on the name of God. And so even though we are is sinful, we are innocent. And that's where children go to eventually. What I would like to do tonight, and I want to do this in a time frame that works, okay? Might be a little long. Just letting you know. Uh, I want us to, first of all, read the text. It's not long. I want us to read the text. And I put, the, I put it down in the wrong version. When I cut it into my notes, I put it in the wrong version. And since I have my New King James Bible with me, let me just go there and I'll actually read this out of the Bible. And that way, I think you guys have it in the media room in Luke as well. So let me just get to Luke 18. And um, by the way, this is a new Bible given as a gift by my son-in-law. What a, what a blessing uh, to be able to receive. So... Um, this is Jesus blesses the little children. So I want to read this text first. And then I want us to talk about what the Bible says about children. We just need that foundation. And then I want to show you 
through the scriptures that all babies go to heaven. Okay, so we're going to start by reading this passage first. So this is Luke 18 verses 15 through 17. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Can you imagine? They rebuked them for bringing children to Jesus. But Jesus called them and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter in. This is one of the one of the statements that's in Luke, Matthew and Mark. It's in all three of them. And in one of them, it says that when they rebuked them and said, don't bring the, don't allow the children to come, they stop the children, that Jesus became very angry. It's the Greek word mega. He was mega angry. And you can get an idea. And I think that that's the way that Jesus feels about anyone who stands in the way of someone coming to Christ, whether they are adults or whether they are children when there are people who want to come to the Lord, but someone stands in their way. Jesus tells this account about children. Well, let me read it here. I'll get, I'll get it to it in just a moment. But just remember that, that for new believers and for children, Jesus said something that's very, very scary. So I want to take a look, first of all, at just a few things here that Jesus says about children. I didn't cover them all. I'm learning not to put in all of the passages, all right? First of all, Jesus watches over these little ones. This is Matthew 18, 10. We're just looking at things Jesus says about children. He said, take heed that you do not, do not despise one of them. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Jesus gives a warning. Don't hurt these children. There are people today who hurt children. It's like the worst, right? The Bible says we all are created in the image of God. That's every child of every ethnic background. It's every child in the womb who has been miscarried. It's every child in the womb that's been aborted. It's every child anywhere that has been created in the image of God. And Jesus says, do not despise these little ones because they have angels. Are, the, the, the top, the idea of a guardian angel for children is true. So many of these kind of things we learn about are not true, but this one is true. Their angels constantly see the face of God. Now, this is the passage that I wanted to tell you about earlier, and this is Matthew 18, two through seven. And Jesus does this here in a few of the Gospels. And in one of the Gospels, he will add in, and it might be the one that I have here, I'm not sure, but in one of the Gospels, he adds in new Christians. And in other ones, he talks about children. So it's applying to both of them, okay? And, and that is because children so receive the Word of God and new believers have received the Word of God. They're like baby Christians and you have real babies. And when someone stands in the way or hurts their faith, this is what he says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus 
saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> Which is these guys. These guys had so much to learn when they were walking with Christ. I know we do too, but who's the greatest in the kingdom? Me? Me? Is it me? Then Jesus called a child to him, sat him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is not saying, if you hurt a child, this is what's going to happen to you. Jesus is saying, I will defend the children. And if you do this to children, it would be better for you to go out now, put a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the sea because what is going to happen to you is going to be worse than that. Take heed if you are abusive to kids. Take heed. I often have told you that I grew up with an abusive father. I'm not going to say I grew up in an abusive home because my mom wasn't nowhere near. My mom stood between me and my dad. My dad trying to get around my mom to get to me and my mom blocked him, would not let him get to me because she knew the kind of things that happened. And there came a time when I said, at about 18 years old, my dad had been dead for about five years. There came a point in my life where I said, I, 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 you know, when you grow up in an abusive, when you grow up in your abuse like that, and, and he was physically abusive, when you grow up in that, you don't realize it's wrong. But I didn't. And at 18 years old, suddenly it dawned on me. And in my mind, this is what I thought. My dad was a jerk. You don't treat children that way. If you are abusing your kids, they're going to grow up and it's going to dawn on them what you are doing. And who knows that your child might not become a pastor and tell a bunch of people <laughs> exactly what you did. My hope is I will see my father. That's my hope. When my father died, my mom walked through the door. They didn't have to tell me he had died. I could, I could see it even at 13. And in my mind, I said, good. That's how abusive he had been towards me. Good. I'm glad he's dead. That's a pretty horrible thing for a 13-year-old to think when they find out that their father is dead. And I'm saying to you, your child will remember what you did or what you're going to do. So don't do it. Sexually, physically, emotionally, stop being the bully. Start caring about them. Start loving them because Christ watches out for these children and he will repay. For your sake, repent in sackcloth and ashes. For your sake, turn away from these things and never do it again. Now let's look at what Scripture says. And thank you for that amen, by the way. But let's look at what Scripture says about children. I like this passage. It's Proverbs 20, 22, 6. 
It says, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart. Now, I told you earlier that children are like this little sponge that will soak up the gospel. And, and when they get older, they're not. When they get older, they rebel against us. When they get older, they get their own wings. And they're like, I don't need you. They do, but they don't think they do. And they're like, I'm flying over here. And you're like, no, you're not. And there they go. At a certain point, you shrug your shoulders as a parent and go, God help, because I can't do anything. So you train your child in the way of the Lord. And when they are old, they'll come back. Now, some people say this is a promise. And some people say that this is a parable. Excuse me, not a parable, a proverb. And if it's a proverb, that means that it's telling you how to live your life wisely and it's a percentage thing. If you do this, if you raise them up in the way of the Lord, then most are going to come back. If not all, most are going to come back. So the, the percentages are in your child's favor. Now, I don't know which one is really true. Men that I respect on both sides say the two different things. But I'll tell you what I do. I take it as a promise. I stand. You said, God, raise them in the way of the Lord. And when they are old, they will not depart. This is your word. Please, God, bring your word about. And any of you that have wayward children, that's what you do. Your word says this. And if you have children at home, talk to them while you're driving down the road about God. Talk to them while you're tucking them in bed about God. Talk to them when they're getting up in the morning about God. Pray with them. Let them know more and more about him. Don't let those days pass by when they will receive them. Ask them, do you want to pray and invite Christ into your life? Pray with them and receive, let them receive Christ because this is an incredible promise. Proverbs 22, 6 says, this is blessing for teachable, blessing of being a teachable child, the blessing of being a teachable child. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake your mother for they will be a great, uh, graceful ornament around your neck, <laughs> a graceful ornament around your head and chains about your neck. He's just encouraging kids as they get a little bit older and they get a little bit of that rebellion inside of them that continue to listen to your parents because it's going to go well with you. That's in the Old Testament. Obey your father and mother and it will go well with you. It's with a promise. And it's reiterated in the New Testament and not all the commandments are, but that one is. Reiterated in the New Testament. The Bible tells us fathers not to provoke our children. We could provoke them to wrath. We must correct them with gentleness. It says in Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. We can be, we can be tough. Us guys can be tough. And I'm not talking abusive now. I'm just talking tough. The Bible says if anyone's in sin, go to them gently and correct them considering yourself. The Bible says the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, correcting those that are in opposition. That goes for us dads too. Be, be gentle with them. Be loving with them. Don't provoke them to wrath. It's not going to be good in the end if you provoke your, your 13 and 14 year old to wrath. 
If you just say it's my way or the highway, gently love them, discipline them, correct them. And sometimes, sometimes you got to get serious, but don't provoke them to wrath. God cares about children everywhere. God cares about children before the time of Jesus and God cares about children today. God cares about children that are growing up in Muslim households and God cares about children who are growing up in Hindu households. God cares about children who are growing up in Jewish household and Palestinian household. God cares about children who are growing up in Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. God cares about wherever there is a conflict. God cares about the children of conservatives and God cares about the children of progressives. God cares about all kids. And listen to what he says. And this is him sending Jonah. He sends Jonah to the Ninevites. The Ninevites were awful people. They had done horrible things. When they, when they defeated you in war, it's like I grew up watching Westerns and what the Comanches would do to people. That's what the Ninevites were like to them, what Comanches were to me as a child. And so God says, this is Jonah. Jonah, when he gets there, right, he's eaten by a whale, spit up on shore, the acids in the fish's stomach would have bleached his clothes, bleached his skin, eaten most of his hair for three days. If you've ever verped up at night, I call it a verp. It's a, it's a vomit burp. Sorry to be so descriptive. But if you've ever burped up into your throat and that acid is there for a few minutes, it's horrible. That's what he would have been experiencing. And he goes to the people of Nineveh. Here's his message. He's the worst prophet ever. Repent. And he says, repent. No, yeah, repent. For in 40 days, God's going to destroy. No, I don't think he says repent. Yeah, I think he just says in 40 days, God's going to destroy you. He walks around and tells everybody that. There's a comedian once who said, when they looked at Jonah and saw his bleached skin and his hair and his clothes all chewed up, they repented because what would you do? Somebody came and like to you to that and said, repent. And, and so God had mercy on him and they, they put on sackcloth and ashes and they repented. And this is Nineveh. We know the ruins of Nineveh today. And Jonah's mad. And Jonah says to God, this is why. Think about this. This is Jonah talking to the Old Testament God that so many people malign. Jonah says, I knew that you were kind and gracious and forgiving. And that's why I didn't want to tell him. He's racist. He hated the Ninevites. And so he says, I knew it. I knew you were going to forgive him. I didn't want to tell him. And God said this. This is Jonah 4.11. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? God even cared about the livestock. I would say that the person who can't discern their right hand from the left would be children and would also be those that have a mental illness that keep them from knowing their right hand from their left. David was confident that his child went to heaven. David, in, in his, somewhere in his 50s, maybe even early 60s, sinned with Bathsheba. Quite frankly, using today's terms, and I'm sorry again to be so frank, but he power raped her. He was a man of power. He's the king. And he took a woman who really didn't have a say and had sex with her. And a child was produced. And David hid it for a year until Nathan came and pointed his finger at David and said, you are the man. And David repented. 
And David cried out to God, if you, if you desire sacrifice, I would give it. But the sacrifices of God are a contrite and broken heart. Forgive me and take not your Holy Spirit from me, David prayed, and God forgave him. And not only had he, had he power raped Bathsheba, but he had killed her husband, Uriah. Sent him out on the battlefield, gave a, a note. He carried the note. Uriah carried the note to Joab. Put Uriah in the midst of the battle and pull away from him. He murdered him by pulling the army away from him. And Uriah was one of the original mighty men of David when he was running from Saul. God said to David, there are those that blaspheme me because of what you did. And that happens today. People say, doesn't the Bible say that David was a man after God's own heart? And then he did that. I'm not following a God that would say of a man like David, he's a man after my own heart. And so God said, you shall not die, David. Under the law, David should have died. But God said, I'll have mercy on you. You shall not die, but your child will. And some see unfairness in that, but it's, it's not. God had to show something of justice that this happened. And so the punishment was that the child would die. One pastor called it collateral damage. I don't know whether that's the exact right word, but the child never did anything wrong. And it seems unfair that the child would die. So, and this is very important. So David goes in his room and falls on his face and cries and weeps and asks God to spare the child for seven days. And the child dies. And, and, and the men who see the child die say, if we go and tell the king that he's dead, he's going to harm himself. He's going to kill himself. Look at what he did when he was, thought he was going to die. And so they finally go in and tell David, your son has died. And David gets up and washes his face and sits down and has a meal. And they're blown away. Listen to what it says. They ask him what? Why? They asked, why did you do this when he was dead? But now when, he's, when, when he was alive and now he's dead, why are you doing this? Here's what he said. This is 2 Samuel 12, 23 and 2 and 23. While the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David knew the child was in heaven. You might think it's unmerciful for God to take that child's life as a punishment for something David did, but that child was better off in heaven and it never had to face the tragedies of life. And David knew he would see that child again. Now, at this point, some are going to say, in the Old Testament, they didn't believe that you rose from the dead. But I'm going to argue against that. And I can't do it tonight because I'd be reading too many passages to you. But jo I'm going to give you just one case. Job said, though I die and my bones dry out, I will see my Redeemer. My eyes shall see my Redeemer and I shall praise his name. Job knew he was going to die. And Job is the oldest book in the, Bi in the, in the Bible, written before Genesis. And Job said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to see him with my eyes. I know my Redeemer lives. 
Job said. He understood a lot for how long ago that was written. David is not saying, I got up and I ate because I'm going to be buried next to my son. That's how some people try to describe it. He wasn't saying, you know, I'm going to die too. I'm going to be where he's at. I'm going to be gone. Dave's not saying that. He would be just as full of grief. But this is the New Te Old Testament equivalent to the New Testament. We do not grieve like those who have no hope. For any, all of you who have experienced miscarriages or maybe were involved in an abortion or had a child who died young, you will see that child. Do not grieve like one who has no hope. You will see that child again. And how absolutely amazing. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. We're just looking at a few things the Bible says about children. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Raise your child in the way of the Lord. And when they are old, they will not depart. What is it that children have? Children have humility. They know who they are. Children have an innocence about them. I'm not saying they're sinless. I know that. But they have an innocence about them. They don't, they don't know what's going on in the world yet. I remember when I hit 17 or 18 years old, I, I would look at my mom and I would think, she doesn't know what really goes on in the world. Later on, I found out she did. She probably thought, he don't know what goes on in the world. Children know they need help. They easily and freely show love. Children are eager to learn. Children are, are honest, brutally honest. Heard of a child who saw a man that had lost his legs in Afghanistan. And the child saw the prosthetic legs. The child said, what happened to your legs? No one else would say that. You parents know that sometimes your childs have said things that are just embarrassing. You're like, boom. You can't say that. So when Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We have to become like a child who trusts in God, who believes in God, that walks honestly, that receives, that becomes like a sponge that soaks up the gospel. We have to become like a child. And when we are born again, God loves us as his child. All the ways in which he loves children that have been created, God loves us as his child. And let me share a couple things with you about what I believe about children going to heaven. I have always leaned towards when a child dies, no matter where that child is at, he goes to heaven. The other thing that I thought might be true was that if there's a child in some foreign country that doesn't know Christ living in a pagan community, that they will be annihilated, that God will not take them to hell. Because you're a three-year-old, you're a Hindu, and you die and you don't know your right hand from your left and you wake up in hell? 
And you, what, you, you, what, what's going on? I just knew God would never do that. So those are my two options. And I lean towards all babies going to heaven, all children going to heaven. Well, I've changed my view to a solid yes on all children go to heaven. Let me lay out the case for you and I'll do it quickly. First of all, David, that got up and washed his face and said, I will go be with that child. Secondly, God cared about the children of Nineveh that didn't know their right hand from their left hand and they were Ninevites. They were not Hebrew. They were a foreign culture. They were full of idolaters, pagans, and they had murdered people brutally, but God cared about the children. God cared about the children of the nation of Israel. When the children of Israel got to the promised land, Joshua and Caleb came out with a good report and the rest of the people said, the other 10 spies came out and said, there's giants in the land, we can't take it. God's brought us out here to kill our children. And, and, and so God said this to them. This is Deuteronomy 1, 39 and 40. I will give the land to your little ones, your innocent children. God calls the children innocent. Are they born into sin? Yes. But God sees them as innocent. Now, this is the New Living Translation, and it's the translation of right hand to left. So I'm reading the New Living Translation because I wanted to hit the word innocent in it because that's the translation that uses it. But what it really says is that uh, I will give the land to, to your little ones who don't know their right hand from their left hand. You were afraid they would be captured, but they will be the ones who will occupy it. As for you, turn around and go on back through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Same thing, another different passage, Numbers 14, 29 through 31. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to the entire number from 20 years and above, except Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. He had no parents. Different kind of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore, swore that I will, you will dwell in, but your little ones who you said would be victims, I will bring in and they shall know the land in which you have despised. The little ones there are 20 years old and below. So some believe that the age of accountability is somewhere around 20. I don't know if it's that high. I don't know if we can take and build a theology out of that. But what we do know is that God makes a distinction between those who don't know their right hand and their left hand and would not punish them in the wilderness with the parents that he scattered their bodies there. Jesus watches over the little ones, gives them angels that constantly see the presence of God. Jesus warns against hurting children. It would be better for you if a, if a noose were tied around your neck and you would have tie a millstone and be thrown into the water than to hurt one of these little ones. In Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they will go and when they are old, they will not depart. And now back to our text. This is my case that all babies go to heaven. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. They just wanted Jesus to touch their kids. And isn't that us? Don't we just want Jesus to touch our kids? and our grandkids. 
But when the disciples saw it, they began to rebuke them. A lot of Calvary chapels, and we've had this rule in the past, and COVID did away with this rule, but we had a rule that kids could not come into the sanctuary. And people would come and say, the Bible says don't stop the little children from coming to me. And my response always was, we're trying to get them to Jesus by not having to listen to me for 45 minutes or an hour. And so we've got a Sunday school that's designed for their energy, their age, that's designed for them to have fun. We're bringing your children to Christ. But at times, well-meaning, overzealous volunteers who I love would tell, tell families, you can't bring your babies in here. One of our assistant pastors a few years ago, he's not on staff and I won't tell you who he is. A grandma's bringing her baby in and he says, I'm sorry, you can't bring your baby into the sanctuary. Here's how we train them to do it. Uh, Hi, my name is Robert. Is this your first time here? What's your name? Well, Jane, we have a policy that the kids don't come into sanctuary because we don't want people to be distracted, but there's a few options. We have an overflow room. You could go there. It's a pavilion now. The pavilion, you could go there with your kids. You could take them into the cry room there. You could take them into the Sunday school and you could even go in with them so you can see what happens. You could feel comfortable about it. And if they go, I don't want to do any of those, then we say, would say, well, you can't bring them into the sanctuary. People don't like to hear you can't. That's the policy. So here's what this pastor did. This lady came with her grandkid, went up and he said, you can't bring your kid in here. She said, you're telling me I can't bring my kid into church? He says, yep. She walks around him. He goes around her and sticks out his arms and blocks her way. She goes to channel 13 investigations and they write up an article on us that we're keeping children away from God. I gave them the interview. They misused my words and we survived it. And these are my words to everyone who may be involved in Calvary chapels or other churches like it that like to have an environment where people can learn the word of God. We all, we understand why, right? You ever, you ever sat through a teaching with a baby crying the whole time? Jay Vernon McGee used to say, if I can out preach a baby screaming, then I'm not worth my salt as a pastor. It's hard. And so our policy now is that kids can come in. But if they start making noise, please take them out. Oftentimes the story will be told differently. The baby started to cry and the usher came over and said, get out. That's how the story's told. And people go, I'll never go to Calvary again. People come to me and say, your usher came and said, get out, because my baby was crying. And I'm like, "Mm, okay, we're sorry. We didn't mean it. Inside my head, I'm going, no, he didn't. He probably said something like, I'm sorry, but your children's just distracting people. Could you please take them out until they settle down or watch them with them in the foyer? He didn't say get out. But we hear those kind of things. That's a side note from where I'm going with all babies go to heaven. (laughs) And and by the way, probably for years years only because I won't have time to share that tomorrow. So they brought their babies to Jesus to touch him. And that's what we want. And that's what we want with our Sunday school. But when the disciples saw it, they began to rebuke them. They rebuked the parents. But Jesus called them saying, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as them. 
Now that phrase, such as them, I looked up the word such, it means like. The kingdom of God believes to those that are like him. I don't know Greek. John MacArthur, I looked up his passage on this. John MacArthur knows Greek. I don't. John MacArthur says this is a category in the Greek, and he's saying that the children are going to heaven. Now, I believe that whether John MacArthur says that about this text or not. He's saying because they have the issues that will get someone into heaven, that they will go to heaven. Now, someone is going to say, well, you have to be saved by Jesus. There's no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved in order to make it into heaven. Yes. But remember Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was accounted him righteousness and he did not know Jesus. He did not know Joshua. He trusted and believed what God said and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So are there those who do not hear the name of Jesus while they're alive and are still saved? Yes, the Old Testament is full of them. Are there those that were alive around the parts of the world and did not hear the gospel but died before they knew their right hand from their left and they are saved? Yes. I have one more scripture to make my case. I don't know if you're on my side yet or not. Maybe you're like, kinda, but not completely. Let me make sure I can find this here. All right, this is Psalms 86, verse 9. Psalms 86, verse 9. And to the media team, you don't have this. Okay? It says, all nations, this, all nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. Every nation. Now, we know every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So that might be that. But then it says this, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord. All nations you have created will come and worship you. Now, this is a universalist passage. And by that, I just mean it's the Bible, but it's a, it's, a, it's a verse that the universalists use. They say, how are all nations around the world going to come to God unless God eventually saves everybody? So they believe that hell is kind of a purgatory. People are going to go suffer there. They're going to finally get enough suffering and then God's going to bring them in. Rod Bell's love wins. I do not believe in universalism. Don't believe it's true. I don't believe in annihilation. I don't believe that people are just going to be annihilated in hell. I don't believe they're going to suffer as much as people say. And we'll talk about that in a sermon I've promised for two years that we'll finally teach sometime about hell. But it does say here they're going to glorify God. And I think this happens because when a baby dies who is in a Muslim family or a Hindu family, that baby doesn't know their right hand or, or a, a, a Syrian family in Nineveh. They don't know their right hand from their left. They will go to heaven. If I'm right about this, there are probably more babies in heaven that people in heaven that were babies than will be that grew up because of, of the, the mortality rate of so many children of the past. Now, am I the only one who believes this? And this is the end, okay? This is the closing. Because some of you guys are going to go, all right, I hear what you're saying, but you could probably stand alone in this, right, Robert? And if you stand alone in this, how are you any different than anybody else that, that comes up with something new? I don't stand alone in this. 
Many good teachers and theologians believe exactly what I'm saying. The age of accountability is not unique to me. Uh, John Calvin taught it. I disagree with so much that John Calvin teaches that I think, well, maybe I shouldn't use him as an example. But he's a theologian that everybody knows and he taught it. So many good men of the past have taught it and believe it and so many men that are alive today believe it. I think the case that I laid out today is a good case for us to have confidence that if you have a child who has died, that you do not grieve as those who have no hope. You will see that child. If you have a child that has been miscarried, and many of you have, or some of you have, and it's been brutal. Miscarriages are so disheartening. The hope of the child, and then you lose it. You will see that child. And if there's an abortion, you'll see that child too. In the Old Testament, I lied about that being the end. This is really the end. In the Old Testament, capital punishment was in force. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which didn't literally mean you would dig out people's eyes, by the way. It meant equal, equal balance. When you, do, when you commit a crime on someone, there will be an equal pay to them, equal recompense. And so God said, and if you murder someone, your life will be taken from you because they were made in the image of God. The Bible says that God made man and women in the image of God. And, and so God, that's why God believed in capital punishment. Because you killed someone made in the image of God and you took their life thoughtlessly. And if it was manslaughter, there were, there were things for manslaughter, just like there is in our day. But there, were, there was a severe punishment because of it. If there were no other reason that abortion were wrong, it's that those babies in the womb are made in the image of God and ought to be given that respect. And that we can have confidence that our God is a loving God who loves children and who cares for them. And if I have a point of application, this one's really the end. If I could have a point of application, pour God into your children while they're young. Do everything you can do to let them know about a Savior who was so noble, he sacrificed his life on a cross for them. Let them know about his love and his care. Let them know about his compassion and mercy that is new every morning. Let them know that there's no sin that can't be forgiven because God's a God who forgives sin when you ask him and call out and ask him to forgive your sin. Lead your children in these kind of prayers. Talk to them while you're driving down the road. Pour into these little sponges God. And when they are old, they won't depart. That middle section, but when they're old, what you poured into them will come back to them again. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the richness of your word. Thank you, Father, for your love and your care for children. 
Thank you for your love and care for us. Thank you that for those of us who learned of you when we were children, we've come back to you. We're, we're an example of that proverb. And Lord, we pray that you would help us. I pray for those that are here that are being abusive towards children in any way. May they turn from it and repent. And I pray for those here who have walked away from you, but as a child, they had poured into them the gospel. I pray for those who are here who never had the gospel poured into them, but they have the opportunity now to re receive you like a child, to become like a child who would say, I need God, I can't do it on my own. Who would, who would stay near God like a child stays near a mother, who would be like a child. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.